Hi everyone, Air here. Today we're going to talk about work. It's one of those topics where we don't necessarily want to talk about it, but it's going to make a world of difference in our lives. With me, I have Mitch Gray, and he's wrote a book called How to Hire and Keep Great People. So whether you're an entrepreneur like myself, an employee, or someone that is just trying to have that side hustle with a little bit of help, he's here to make sure that we understand how emotional intelligence is going to help us here. Welcome to the show, Mitch. Air, it is so great to meet you officially and to uh, to be here today in this moment. I'm so excited for this conversation. It's one of those that I've kind of held off on because it can be a toughy <laughs> subject. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. We might be, you know, a hundred episodes in by now, but when it comes to work and it comes to working with other people, everybody tenses up. Do you feel like that, or am I on my own here? No, you're you're exactly right. And by the way, for those listening that may be entrepreneurs, owners, uh, managers, leaders, it's not just leadership that tenses up. Uh, employees do as well. And you know what's crazy, Air, about about this whole uh, this this kind of reality. Well, let me say what we have fashioned as our reality in day to day. Uh, which, by the way, really isn't real. It's just kind of all created and made up, and we're just doing our best. <laughs> and, but we allow this space that we view as our reality every day uh, to really impact us, good, bad, or indifferent. That's kind of a neutrality that I'm identifying there. But, you know, as business owners, as entrepreneurs, as leaders, uh, we're, we're, we tend to constantly be on uh, that isn't healthy. As employees, we tend to constantly be pushing ourselves forward to just make ends meet or create a new opportunity. And the interesting thing, and this is where I love the conversation around business and the workplace and uh, employees and employers, is when we can begin shifting the conversation from outside of ourselves and begin looking at this as a human existence, even in the workplace, it really shifts the opportunity to lift our awareness to what potentially the real barriers are. And that is why I think we all tense up because I think we have a real uh, struggle with how to have that conversation. You know, it's, it's much easier to compartmentalize. The problem with compartmentalizing is we begin disconnecting. And when we begin disconnecting, the conversation shifts from a wholeness of our humanity and a universal existence to a one single magnified problem. And when we only focus on that one single magnified problem, we lose the awareness of the connection of everything. And, and I'm really excited to hopefully introduce a new way of being and of having that uh, conversation. I feel like you're about to introduce how spirituality and soulfulness and humanity can just take down the walls of business because business to me can be very cold yes. sometimes. And even as, you know, a psychotherapist or as someone in the spirituality field or someone, you know, I'm a yogi at heart. Everyone <laughs> on the show knows that. So yes, yes. I'm always working with people's energy and their emotions day in and day out. But there's something about business, especially like sales and marketing mm -hmm. and, you know, 
climbing up that corporate ladder that just feels so cold. And so before we start this, how would you set the stage for someone with that type of mentality? Mm, look in the mirror. Uh, there's something beautiful that happens when we recognize ourselves. The challenge to that is we often don't want to recognize ourselves because oftentimes we don't like the reflection. Uh, but, but the truth of the matter is until we begin realizing and accepting our reflection, the work cannot begin. If I don't know where to start, I don't know where to start. And it begins with the reflection. And the reason I bring up the, the, the principle of reflection is when we're dealing with the workplace, we, we soon realize that everything is a reflection of leadership. Everything is a reflection of energy because everything is energy. <laughs> Whether we call it cold or soft or beautiful or ugly or nasty or high vibration, everything is energy that we're just simply putting labels on so that we can possibly comprehend what's going on. But there are those moments that we comprehend and experience and we don't know how to explain. And those are the moments that begin reflecting back to us. And so to set the stage, it begins by looking in the mirror. As a leader, I'm looking in the mirror and I'm dealing with the shadow self of what's presenting to me. And that is the single best place to start. I love how you brought up a shadow self. Because when I think of leadership and I own multiple businesses and a nonprofit that I helped found and I've been an employee in the past. It's been a while, but I remember <laughs> it because it was traumatizing at times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I've had great employers. I've had great leadership. I've had great mentors. If, if you want to take it outside of business and put it more in like a school type mm -hmm. of atmosphere. And I feel like everyone either gets pegged as like a good leader or a bad leader. So how would you define the difference whenever people are explaining this person's a great leader or this person's not a good leader? <laughs> I, I love these questions because I often, I'm often asked questions such as these. And it's like, sometimes it's like, Mitch, you don't really answer the question. And I'm like, well, because the language has to change, right? <laughs> and so okay. my, my, my gut response to that question is there is no good or bad. And so when we start diving into the greater perspective of energy and existence and humanity, at some point we really have to, and the reason I bring up good and bad is I love eradicating those two words specifically. Here's why. We usually judge good or bad based on a result and not the story. And so mm. uh, someone steals uh, a loaf of bread and we go, bad person, bad action, thief, but we forget to ask why. There is always a story and the why might be because they have two young children at home and they just got laid off three months ago and they can't make ends meet and they're only, in their mind, their only chance of survival is to take that loaf of bread. And so when we begin pulling ourselves back from our natural uh, kind of uh, nurtured responses, which would be good or bad. It's like, let me listen to the story. And so I'll, t I'll tell a really quick story to actually give example of this. Years and years ago, it's like 27, 28 years ago, I was working at a, what used to be called Radio Shack. So Radio Shack, for those that don't know, is since defunct. 
Uh, they were like the go-to store for electronics back in the 90s, 80s, etc. And we had a manager at the time, and there were moments that guy would just fly off the hand. I mean, start throwing stuff at us because he would get so ticked off at something for some reason. And I was probably 19 years old at the time. And on the surface, you could go, wow, this, this is not good. By the way, it's not. It's abusive. Shouldn't act that way. But... Even at 19, I kind of went, okay, there's something going on here that we don't understand. There is very little sensible reason for a boss to come to work and start throwing stuff or cursing people out, etc. Sure enough, you start digging into the story and the action that we're seeing taking place that would label us, a you know, that person a bad leader, we're seeing drama at home. Uh, maybe they were treated that way as a child. In other words, we can start unfolding the story. And so for me, it really becomes a question of when I see someone making a decision that I don't necessarily agree with, that is opposed to my perspective, it becomes less judgment and more questioning. Okay, what made that person take that action? What caused that person to make that decision? Uh, why did that person arrive at the point in time that they believe they can treat other people with disrespect and lack of integrity? What is their definition of integrity? And so then it really starts uh, digging deeper into the human existence of that person. And I had someone propose to me a couple of months ago that to really live at a human level, we have to drop all the labels. So in other words, I don't have a son and two daughters. I was just gifted humans to help guide along this experience. Uh, you were not a boss or an entrepreneur. You're actually just a human that had ideas and you took action on them. We don't actually have employees. We don't actually have spouses or aunts or uncles. They're just humans that we're colliding with in this experience. And when we begin looking at things from that perspective, it allows us to drop our definitions of good, bad, uh, effective, ineffective, empowering, non-empowering, and just allows us to dig into the human existence story. I'm feeling like you have a lot of compassion as like your overall blanket of there's no good, there's no bad. We're just having the human experience together. Uh, 100%. Uh, and, and compassion is, compassion can be a learned trait. We can practice it, but it can also, also be a spiritual gifting. Uh, there's a story that my mom tells when I was probably three years old that I was trying to share a toy with a friend and the friend wouldn't take the toy and I started crying. And my mom said, Mitch, why are you crying? And I said, because they won't take what I'm giving them. And, and that's kind of just always been for my personal experience, the nature that has led me is if I can lead with compassion in every moment, and by the way, the best practice is compassion of self also might be the most challenging of all the compassions. Mm -hmm. I, I, I seem to be much more compassionate to others than I am myself. And, and that is a practice. But if we can lead with compassion in every scenario, it actually gives opportunity for greater existence because I'm no longer judging things based on the surface level. Oh my gosh, some, uh, an employee didn't show up to work again. I get pissed off. I have to take action. You can still have compassion and accountability, and you should have. But at the same time, accountability without compassion becomes a path that leads us to great frustration and burnout, especially as business leaders. And so it really becomes this idea of how am I creating an ecosystem that is led with compassion 
and then follows up with accountability. And when we create the systems that honor those two things in synchronicity, we actually create systems for great empowerment, great creativity, and great curiosity. And so that becomes then the mission, and not just in the workplace, but in our daily lives. And I really learned that as a parent in raising kids. It's like I can either be a parent that dictates and controls every moment, manipulates the situation. That's kind of how I was raised. Or I can create an atmosphere for three little humans to grow up and kind of guide their way and maybe give them some protection and safety, but allow them to make their own decisions. Which one is most sustainable? And I think that really is apropos to the workplace. I think a lot of bosses and leaders say, I want to control the system. Well, that's great. You'll never control the system. There are far too many variables at play. There are far too many uncontrollable scenarios like the way other people think. You can't control that. So I can create a system that offers compassion and accountability and allows people to flourish. And that becomes a really, really interesting scenario. I feel like some people might challenge you yes. when it comes to the emotional self, or you said it earlier in a way as like the shadow self, which is a very spiritual way to put it out there. Some people might be like, hey, my emotions, what's going on at home? What's going on with my kids? What's going on with my partner or my spouse or my dating life or my like whatever, you know, is personal doesn't really have a place in the work environment, especially as a leader, you're supposed to be, you know, the image. (laughs) Yes. So how would you be able to like talk to somebody that's like, Hey, this shouldn't even be something we bring to work. This is something like it happened at home. I'm keeping it at home because I'm not going to throw that thing at that 19 year old boy at Radio Shack. Right. Right. We don't want to become that guy. Right. Um, Yes, and that is a question that is asked often, and it is something that I see reflected in the workplace often. And so really, the response is, and I want to reframe what I think people are really asking. They're saying, hey, I I, I can't take this to work. Uh, I don't want my employees to bring this to work. What they're really saying is, I don't want to bring the drama of those situations with me to this present moment. And that is a really fair expectation because we do not want to feed the drama of any situation. But here is the other side of that coin. We cannot control, uh, let let me rephrase that. To a certain extent, we can control how things impact us, but to a certain extent, we lose control. So... Uh, if I have a death in the family of a very close close and personal person to me, friend, family, friend, whatever, I can control that feeling somewhat to where it doesn't con- incredibly overwhelm me. But I cannot control the sorrow, nor should I control the sorrow or sadness that I'm feeling, potentially even anger. So if in that moment I this person passes on to, to you know, whatever's next, but I've lost them in this life experience. I am going to have sorrow. I am going to have uh, frustration and sadness and potentially anger, maybe even some guilt. Who knows? I'm going to have the emotions. It is impossible for me as a human to go to work tomorrow and just completely remove the emotions. I can remove the drama. 
And I think what many people are asking in that scenario is, how do we get rid of the drama, but still allow people to be human? Because even the greatest leaders of the great, they still feel stress. They still feel anxiety. They feel sadness. They feel anger. They feel frustration. And the best of us learn to allow those emotions to flow in a healthy manner. We learn to listen to them. We learn to feel them. And there has to be moments and capacity in the workplace for Sarah, the part-time employee, to feel their emotions. It is unhealthy for them not to. And it is completely possible to create a safe space, which I believe workplaces should be safe spaces. We spend uh, far more time working than we do anything else. Sarah, the part-time employee, should have the space and safety and security to feel without bringing the drama. And those are two very, very different things. And so I think what people are asking there is, how do I get rid of the drama? I'm a full believer in getting rid of the drama and not carrying us carrying it with us from moment to moment. But I'm also a full believer that you can create an incredibly safe space for people to feel their, their emotions, to express their emotions. Sarah may walk in and say, Air, I'm sorry, I'm not at my best today because my aunt passed and she was my mentor in life and I'm really feeling it. There should be complete space and opportunity in the workplace for those things to be expressed and felt. And you will create a better team that way. You will create a better human experience that way. And when employees are having a great human experience, they pass that on through the product and to the customer. So I absolutely love the differentiation there between the drama and the safe space. Yeah. With that, you've introduced a huge concept of spirituality. And you mentioned to me off the air that your book actually opens with spirituality. So how does that set the stage for the entire rest of the book? Because that's a really different <laughs> approach. Yeah, what's interesting about the book is uh, I had finished the manuscript and uh, my advanced reading team by the way, who were spread all over the world, literally from Australia to uh, Canada to Florida. <laughs> they do not know each other. Uh, we had a message thread. We were doing this all virtually. It was, you know, during the pandemic. And so we're just kind of all doing this electronically. And But they don't know each other. And what was interesting is the, the first chapter, Everything is Spiritual, I actually placed as the last because when I wrote the manuscript, I thought, man, there's no better way than to kind of round out the book than with this thought. Every single person individually messaged me and said, nope, that's the first. <laughs> and so I'm really grateful for my, my advanced reader team for having the courage and the audacity to say, no, 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 Mitch, you got that one wrong. This is your essence. This is the foundational pillar of your message, and this has to be first. And here's why I think they were really all moved kind of anonymously, uh, universally to, to give me that message. And that is because air, everything is spiritual. And when I'm talking spirituality, I'm not at all talking religion. And oftentimes in our language, we use the two synonymously, and they, they couldn't be further from each other now. Religion can be a conduit and a tool for spirituality. 
But this existence that we're all feeling, the emotions, uh, the excitement, the curiosity, the experiences, it's all just energy. It's all just spirituality. It is it is uh, activity that we cannot usually see with our physical being and eyes, but we can feel it. And everyone knows spirituality, whether they use that language or not. They know the feeling of love. Uh, they know the feeling of curiosity. They know the feeling of creativity. They know the feeling of connection. Those are all spiritual uh, moments. And so when we look at it from that perspective, I'm then asking myself the question, how can I create a workplace that is a spiritual experience? Does that mean everyone's going to come in at 10 o'clock and sit down and do meditation? Well, maybe, maybe not, but probably not. But what it does mean is everyone is focused on synchronicity and energy and how they present the, themselves in each and every moment. What language are we using to communicate? Do we understand the ebbs and flows of this life experience, of this work experience? Um, and when everyone has the awareness and is constantly uh, reminded of that awareness, it creates a connectivity and a synergy that in ways can't be measured, but in many ways is incredibly experienced. And so that's really why I believe my advanced reader team said, no, that has to be the opening message because it's that message that everything else is founded on. Uh, and, and that is, I fully believe that with all, all of my heart, mind, and soul. I believe that if someone is leading a business right now and everything is going wrong, I believe if they would just put a pause button on operations and focus on emotional and spiritual intelligence and presence, all of the operations and cells would take care of themselves. It, far too often we focus on the byproduct rather than the actual foundation. And when I work with leaders and they're feeling stressed and they're feeling, you know, cells aren't performing or, or workers are calling in or, or they can't find the right people that align with what they want. It's it's ninety nine percent of the time because they're focusing on the byproduct, the operations, the sales, and they're completely forgetting the human experience. And if the human experience is right, if the human experience is good, I've rarely seen cells not take care of themselves. I've rarely seen operations go awry because a human that shows up fully in that moment is the greatest single asset you could potentially ever ever invest in. Every single time you've spoke so far, I'm just like, I want to take a beat because it all needs to soak in. It's so valuable. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that you did define the difference between spirituality and religion. Um, normally, I always open up at some point and ask you about how you define spirituality, and you already took it there, so I appreciate that as well. I feel like there's also this aspect that we're kind of having a dalliance with right now because spirituality isn't always emotional and emotional like intelligence is very different from spiritual intelligence it sounds like we need both to make you know this work to hire and keep great people but what's the very pivotal differences between the emotional and the spiritual that this yeah let's go here uh, uh... And I'm going here because it's really fresh on my mind. I had a great uh, session this morning with my mindset coach, and he gave me an affirmation and a reminder that was greatly needed for me. And so I feel like there's something resounding 
uh, for your listeners at this place in time. And that is spirituality at its core is we are worthy of this existence. In other words, really our worth isn't found anywhere else except for that we exist. And I feel like that is one of the greatest challenges in life. It's like that's the mythical unicorn of self-discovery is that my worth isn't found in money or a job or a, a love of my life or whatever, my accomplishments. Strip all of that away, and that is where my worthiness is. It's this existence, this moment, this place in universal time. That, at its essence, is spirituality. Feelings and emotions are a manifestation of how we are experiencing that worthiness. And so when we go there, it's like, well, when someone is abusive to me and it makes me feel negatively, what's happening is I am experiencing a manifestation that is directly against my self-worth. When something positive happens to me and I'm feeling elated, I am now experiencing a manifestation of the affirmation of my self-worth. But that abuse or affirmation, they are neither one my worthiness and my value. They are simply either telling me something is directly opposite of or in affirmation of. And so when we look at that in the workplace, what does that look like? It looks like everything is connected. One person's energy impacts the other. That's spirituality. It is the essence of our existence. We are energetic beings. Our customer experience is simply an exchange of energy. So we want to make sure that our exchange of energy with our customers is on point. It is of the highest value and of the highest presence. That creates a good experience. But what happens when we're dealing with emotional intelligence? Emotional intelligence is... We're giving a safe space that people can feel their emotions, but we're also aware enough when people feel their emotions. <laughs> and so <laughs> if I'm having a stressful day as a leader and I'm sharp, uh, I say something in a sharp manner that may be going opposite of my employee or my coworker's presence, I then have the self-awareness to go, oh, hold on a second. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. That is emotional intelligence. It's also emotional intelligence for that coworker to look at me and go, hey, Mitch, what you said earlier really bothered me. You really made me question my value of the workplace in that moment in time. Can we have a conversation about that? And when you create an atmosphere and a synergy, a.k.a. a culture of great spiritual and emotional intelligence, you're actually hearing those conversations take place often. It may look like a customer complaining about a product. I'm sorry, customer. You know, we do our best, and in that moment, something just fell through. How can we help get through this? How can we fix that for you? What can we do to really remedy this issue right now? We want to do the best we can to serve you. It's not about making the customer feel guilty. It's not about quizzing the customer and, you know, making sure that they're not cheating us over. It's really about being present in that moment. So spirituality is the worthiness of our sheer existence. The emotions and the feelings and the, uh, the emotional intelligence we bring to the table is simply the manifestation and the response of the moments within that spirituality. Mm. 
Honestly, Mitch, I think that might have been one of the most beautiful explanations <laughs> I have heard all year about mm. the difference between spirituality and emotional intelligence. So mm. I appreciate that so much. Mm. I, I do feel like the scenario with the customer that's you know frustrated or angry, or even the employee to the leader, if we're going to flip it and we'll see the other side, the emotional intelligence I feel can open up to the idea of exploitation as well. Mm. Especially if you have the type of culture where you're like, I want great people. I'm trying to be the best leader possible. I'm being spiritually focused. I'm being emotionally aware of my culture and my team. How do leaders make sure that that doesn't get exploited through their emotions? Yeah, that's that's another question that, in one form or fashion, is is posed often. Um, because really, uh, and and if I if I go off track here, let me know, please. Really, that question is usually filmed from fear. Uh, usually, when I hear a question of that nature, it is a leader who isn't quite sure or practiced in the art of connection. And so let me, let me frame it in ways that I hear that often. Uh, well, if I'm more compassionate, people are going to take advantage of me. Uh, if I communicate more often, I'll get myself in trouble because I'll say things maybe I don't want to say. Uh, if I am more happy around my employees and I show them that I'm grateful, they're going to take advantage of me, et cetera, et cetera. And so really that exploitation becomes stemmed from a fear of, I think I believe in this stuff, but I'm just not quite sure. Let me, let me remove ourselves from the marketplace and give another example. Uh, I often work with school administration on a variety of initiatives. And oftentimes I'll talk to a superintendent or a principal of a school and I'll ask the question, hey, how do you feel about when students, children are uh, when they're more physically and mentally healthy, they make better students. Oh yeah, we agree with that. We, we know the data. We 100% agree with that. That's the response I'll get. So then I'll propose, oh great. So how do you feel about offering more physical education during the day? Oh no, we can't do that because it takes away from instruction time. Okay. Uh, how do you feel about when a kid sits in the classroom all day that they actually lose their attention span? Yeah, we get it. We know, okay. So my proposal would be, what if you got your kids up and moved them around a little bit more and actually gave them some, you know, maybe brain breaks here. Oh, we can't do that. It takes... So where am I going with that example? Oftentimes we believe things theoretically, but when it comes time for the practice of them, we get really, really scared because we just don't know. And we fear the unknown. We fear the moments that we are not comfortable. But here's the crazy thing about this human experience, Air. The greatness is found in the discomfort. <laughs> Uh, the next mm. level of existence can only be discovered through walking through unknown territory because we just don't know what we don't know. And if we continue practicing this life experience the way we've always practiced it, we'll never know what we don't know. And so my invitation to leaders that might say, hey, people might take advantage of me in these moments, first of all. Uh, I've been in leadership for almost 30 years now, and I've never seen that scenario play out. 
Uh, I've had over 5,000 employees and I've never had an employee, you know, truly take advantage of me for being too compassionate. Uh, I've maybe had a few customers over time, but, you know, they're very few and far between. And my second invitation is just give it a try. Just give it a try. You don't know until you give it a try. And so it really becomes the scenario of, as humans, we have this innate ability to talk ourselves out of things that are really good for us and talk ourselves into things that aren't great for us. <laughs> and we often find comfort in what we know, even if that knowing is complete chaos and unhealth. And so it really just becomes this idea of summoning the courage to try something new. And I know one thing about humans, by far, the vast majority of humans want the best for themselves and the best for others. Now, they may have some learned behavior that could push against that, but they're just that, learned behaviors. And so if we dive into the science of it all, we know that we can rewire uh, brain pathways, neuro neurological pathways. We can actually rewire the thought processes. And so if we can learn a new behavior, then we can learn a new behavior. And so it's really just about practicing it and kind of sinking into it. So... I know that we're getting towards the end, so I want to bring up a topic that we haven't actually approached yet, other than in the title of your book, is the hiring process. Mm. We've talked a lot about keeping the team together and how to be, you know, the best, even with your shadow self as a leader. Yeah. But the hiring, I feel like, is one of the most critical portions to get it all right. So how do you approach your hiring process whenever you're trying to have great people on your team? Yes. Uh, first of all, clarity. Uh, I, I love the exercise of creating your perfect teammate persona. And that is an actionable step that people can take today. Uh, what type of energy do you want people to show up with? Uh, what type of creatives, what type of idealism, uh, what type of presence, aptitude, attitude, uh, really thinking about the type of energy and the type of representation energetically you want on your team. That is creating your perfect teammate persona because you can't hit a target that you don't know you're aiming at. And so often what happens with people when they're hiring, they're like, well, we just know we need people. Okay, well, what type of people do you need? And when I say that, I'm not talking about the aesthetic, uh, you know, ethnicity and how people dress and et cetera, et cetera. I'm talking about the aptitude, the attitude, the work ethic, uh, the curiosity, the creativity, the energy, the presence. Uh, what type of people do you want making up your team and your community? So that's step one, is creating clarity on your perfect teammate persona. Step two is, where do those people exist? Where do they exist? Uh, what shops do they shop at? What part of the community are they in? Who do you know in your circle of influence and networking that represents that? They may not be looking for an opportunity, but they know people who are. And so then it becomes just a really fun adventure of finding those people. And I actually believe that you should be hand selecting the vast majority of your people. And, and I say that no matter the size of your company. Uh, the smaller your company, the more you should be hand selecting. But there is no reason once you have clarity on that, you can't go out and offer a great opportunity to people. And if you can do those two steps, create your perfect teammate persona intentionally with great awareness and then figure out where those people exist, 
you will have zero problem. You know, I hear people say it often. No one wants to go to work. No one wants to show up. My rebuttal is it's because you're not bringing on the right people because you don't have the alignment of culture and team and then the alignment of having the right people on the right seat in the right bus. If you bring the greatest person on, but you misplace them and don't give them the tools and the opportunities they need, they're not going to stick around. And so it's really creating that clarity, knowing uh, your perfect teammate persona, figuring out where they exist, and then just having conversations. I will give you, Air, the $64 million question with recruiting. Do you know anyone looking for a great opportunity? If you can ask that question and just give yourself a fun goal five times a day, ask someone, the, the, the waiter uh, at, at the restaurant, uh, the person at the tire changing shop, when you stop to get gas or you go to get groceries, your friend circle. And then if you already have a business with employees, uh, ask your employees, ask them, hey, does anyone know anyone looking for a great opportunity? If you have a team of 10 people, a really small team of 10 people, and you give each person the goal to ask that question 10 times a week, you're now recruiting 100 people a week, literally. Mm -hmm. And that's all it takes. And so when I see, I was actually at a meeting with a client the other day and they were like, yeah, we're going to put new Facebook ads out for applications. I'm like, that's a terrible investment. That's a terrible investment. You have a team of 30 people. Just teach people to ask the question. Do you know someone looking for a great opportunity? Because we're a great company. We've built a great culture and we're looking to add great people. And someone knows someone else. And what's interesting is, is how few people put that into practice. It's mind boggling to me, but that is the magic question to hiring and recruiting. The reason people get hiring wrong is because A, they don't create a perfect teammate persona, persona, they don't have clarity, and they're not interviewing the right people. And so we can get rid of all that by having clarity and finding where those people exist. I love that you mentioned it because my emotional aspect of me, not my spiritual, but my emotional side is like, yes, I've done it right in the past. <laughs> because when I was starting um, the retail stores, I own a company called Flying With Air, which I know is new to you, but not new to the audience. Mm -hmm. But Flying With Air, I tried to do the Facebook ad thing. And it was about three days later. And I'm like, $80 short. I didn't, you know, put a lot into it, but I was like, this sounds so silly. Like these aren't my people. Yeah. Like this could go anywhere. And what I did is I thought about when I was an employee and some of the incentives that I used to have, and they used to have referrals through employees because like people like, like find similar people, similar energy. Right. Yes. So if you yes. have a good employee, they're going to have friends that are like them. You are the closest five people. That's the summation of you is another yes. way to say that. But also, I am the one that when I go to a restaurant and I'm really vibing with the server or I go to an event and I'm like, there's this person that's like three doors, you know, three seats down. I'm like, hi, like, what are you doing? Like, yes. why did you decide this profession? What is your goal? Like, do you want to be here? Do you want to expand? Is there something missing from here? I'm that person that gets to that under level. And yes. out of all the employees I've had, I haven't had quite, I think you said 5,000 in your 30 years. Yeah. Yep. That's like a lot of employees, Mitch. Yeah. I've maybe had like a hundred with, you know, everything I've had together if you don't count like contractors and partnerships, right? Yes. But I would say 80% of the ones I was just like, they 
were there for at least a year. They had great ethics. They had great values. They expanded the vision. They moved us forward. I either was at a restaurant and I was like, I really like that server or <laughs> I was getting them from a referral from somebody already on the team. So I love that. That's so much better than putting Facebook ads out there. I'm telling you, it works. And, and you know, you take away the uh, what I say is people use the strategy of gambling when it comes to recruiting. <laughs> it's just a crapshoot and they're throwing ads out and they're using recruiting agencies and you know, no one knows your business or your culture like you and or the people that are around you. Um, and similar to what you said, I learned something very early on uh, in my leadership career, in my early 20s. I had a mentor that actually taught me the art of recruiting. And she used to always say, Mitch, birds of a feather flock together. So find the bird <laughs> you like and they'll bring more to you. And it's spot on. And, you know, what's crazy is, Air. Uh, 92% of the businesses in North America are small business. 90% uh, of those have fewer than 100 employees. And so what that tells me is that the vast majority of businesses should be hand-selecting the, you know, almost everyone that they hire. But you rarely see that. You know, you see so many help-wanted signs on the window. And, and sure, put them up. Maybe you'll get lucky. But if you're depending on that to recruit people, you will constantly have trouble, constantly. Um, and so it becomes an interesting thing. And, you know, the, the rebuttal I often have leaders say is, well, Mitch, I don't want to be out to dinner thinking about recruiting. And I'm like, hold on a second. But you know you're out to dinner stressing about your business. <laughs> and so it's <laughs> like, okay, you can either be stressing about your business or you can actually be recruiting to bring great people on that will actually reduce you stressing about your business. And so, you know, again, we know what we know. And until we learn a different behavior or a different practice, then we just continue to do what we know to do. And I, what I believe about the things that I am passionate about and I try and gift and teach to others is I believe firmly it is the single most sustainable way to build a life, to design a life experience. Call it success, call it what you want. But at some point, we have to build a sustainability that creates this amazing human experience where we don't get 30 years down the road and regret it, because that's the last thing anyone wants. So I feel like the conversation of compartmentalizing you know, business versus talking about it at dinner or trying to recruit the server. That's a whole different podcast. <laughs> we could go two hours on that. <laughs> whole different one. And I will be the first one to be like, I'm going to raise my hand. That was me in the past and it's gotten me in trouble in the past, but yeah. I'm going to put that back down in the box. Yeah. But yeah. I also know that you have a podcast. So please share what that's about. I do. The Mitch Gray Show. And uh, the, the kind of the mantra of our show is bringing the art of humanity back to leadership. Uh, and so a lot of great episodes with great guests uh, where we, we talk about topics that you and I are talking about today. Uh, quite a bit on emotional intelligence, spirituality, and just how to exist in the best way possible in this life experience. And so, yeah, anywhere you listen to podcasts, The Mitch Gray Show, uh, check it out. And I hope you get something from it. Ooh. And then also remind everybody how they can get your book, because we've mentioned that a couple of times. I'm getting lucky. He's sending me one. So I'll yes. let everybody know when I get to read it and have my thoughts. But what about everybody else? How do we get yeah. your book? 
the easiest one is Amazon. Obviously, everyone orders books on Amazon. But I will say, uh, please check with your local bookstore. They should be able to order it. I'd love for you to support local if possible. But if you are an Amazon buyer, it's available every, everywhere. Uh, how to hire and keep great people. Uh, look it up. Uh, order it. And uh, I hope you really, really enjoyed it. We've got something else really cool coming. Hopefully, in the next few months, we're going to be publishing a uh, how to hire and keep great people guidebook. Uh, and so the book is in itself a guidebook. There's a lot of questions, a lot of kind of scripting that you can use. But we're trying to really even back that off more and just create a manual that people can get alongside it and really just give them scripts for leading their business in a really powerful way. Mm. I feel like that's going to be so valuable, not only to small business owners, but also HR recruiters. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mitch, it has been delightful. I love this show. Like, I have no idea how to express my gratitude mm. to the fact that you knew how to explain the spirituality aspect, but also the emotional aspect, but keep it high level and detailed at the same time. That's a talent. I gotta <laughs> let you know. That, that's a talent I would put on my resume if I was you. So. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. Consider that for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But well, it's Eric, definitely. Yeah, th thank you so much. This is I love, I love colliding with people randomly that uh, that just becomes such a joy. And I feel like over the last few weeks, you and I, quite frankly, I don't even know how we connected other than on Instagram, and we started messaging, and it's been beautiful. And I absolutely love your content. And so thank you so much for shining bright and doing such great work in the world. Uh, I really appreciate you. Now you're just going to make me fall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much, Mitch. To everyone out there, please go check out his podcast. If you like this episode, I know that there's going to be more value on the other episodes with his guest. Check out his book, How to Hire and Keep Great 